0: Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit, this is episode 175 and we are counting down
1: Ronan. That was dramatic, Sean. Sure. This is the start of the countdown, so let's ease on the drama because I don't think you've got 10 <laughs> gears more to go through for the top 10. Like, Girl, you down! It would be like an episode of Raw, but You know <laughs> nothing of my gears. <laughs> I've seen them, they're not that impressive. F1 to be rusty. Not. <laughs> Oh, let's not talk about your rusty gears, shall we? <laughs> so, what are we doing? As promised and long delayed, we are starting our countdown of our top 100 games of all time, leading into, as you know, a year from now will be our 10-year anniversary. And that's our little way of celebrating it rather than having a special when that comes around. We'll just get to our top games of all time. So, Sean, it's pretty much as simple as that. We may as well just crack on. Any other thoughts other than that?
0: Well, I've got to apologise to you, Ronan, because this is our second attempt at doing this.
1: Oh, let's not let's not dwell on how incompetent we are. <laughs> here. It recorded it, it got lost, misedited, didn't record properly for the nineteenth time this year. But other than that, it
0: went well. It's all it's all good. Okay, well let's just crack into it, Ronan, and uh, let's hear your number one hundred of all time.
1: My one hundred has just snuck onto the list. It snuck onto the list as much for utility, portability ease of play and the fun puzzle it creates and my number 100 game of all time is cartographers the flip and write in which you're putting different types of landscapes into your own map trying to match goals there are four goals and two of them will score each turn and there are other couple little ways of scoring points and avoiding any problems caused by marauding monsters which your opponents will put onto your map for you at the appropriate times and also plays well solo which is not something i often look for but it's something this portable and quick is a feature for me sean so my number 100 cartographers
0: Yeah, Cartographers is a very good game. I've just literally decided to let it go out of my collection, but primarily because I know you've got it and you've got the expansions and uh, I can hopefully borrow it off you if I need to play it again. But it is is a good game, just not quite good enough for my top 100.
1: To a certain point, what's mine is yours.
0: (laughs) So my number 100, the one that's just schnocking, is Manhattan Project Energy Empire from Minion Games, uh, coming from Luke Laurie and Tom Jolly. A worker placement game where you're chaining, you're getting lots of buildings into your tableau, you're chaining lots of stuff together, very clever game, almost like a bidding aspect to the worker placement, and I just love the way it all comes together, and it it's kind of been the last couple of years have been the year of Luke Laurie. He started to make his name in the, in the industry. And this was an earlier one of his, and I really adore it. It's Manhattan project energy empire.
1: It's good. I would need more plays for it to accelerate through in my rankings. I don't think it's top 100 caliber for me, but I can certainly see the appeal in it. And I enjoyed our plays fairly good. My 99 is Embarcadero, which is only this low down the list because of Want for Plays, because it only came out last year. It's going to feature in my review of 2021 for absolute certain. I've played it a handful of times. I appreciate it more and more and more of the time we play. Sean likes to bling games. This is one of the very few games that I will claim to have blinged in a very, very minor way. <laughs> the um, do you know the things that go down the council track, Sean? You know, they're really tall and thin and they just fall over all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they fall. The score tokens. Yeah.
1: So I bought tiny little wooden boats of, the, of close to the colours as I could get to replace nice, them. Nice.
0: Nice. I like it.
1: <laughs> like 18 pence. You're, you're finally
0: it? coming round to my way of thinking. <laughs> are we going to call that bling, are we? We're
1: calling it. It's a
0: start. It's a start. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. and an end I hope uh, it's themed around San Francisco the gold rush people would bring ships uh, to get into the area and then these ships would get abandoned and eventually people just started using the ships in the harbour to build out and build buildings on them and it's a true story It's, it's they, they're under the streets as we speak and it's got a brilliant hand management aspect to it whereby you're creating your hand for the next round every time you play there's only two different things you can do you can build buildings or you can sink ships or not sink ships but dock them sort of a spatial aspect against each other there's a very simple clever resource system it's a fantastic game i anticipate in five years time if we were still in the top 100 embarcadero would have moved up but just for lack of plays currently it's my number 99 embarcadero
0: I have fallen in love with Embucadero. It flew completely under the radar for me and it was only when it started popping up on a few reviews that I tried it and I managed to get myself a copy and yeah, as I said, I fell completely in love with it. Just so many tactical and strategic decisions in there and they, they all, they've they all got that gravitas about them and you, you try to pull everything together. Really clever game and yeah, maybe hear about it later.
1: Oh, Oh. that's a surprise. (laughs) It's flown under the radar because, unfortunately, I'm going to have to echo Matthew Jude here. (laughs) Renegade! Renegade. (laughs) Support your games. Yeah. Like, no support for it. No push. I don't see it out there anywhere. It's like, they put these games out and they just completely forget about them. I think, with a bit more love, this one would be a big hit with, with sort of heavier... Not heavier, I can... Medium gamers? I don't know. Let's not call everyone medium. Let's just call everyone lovely. With lovely gamers of good taste, the Barcaderi should be hit <laughs> Anyway, moving on.
0: So my 99. So talking about Renegade not supporting their game, I'm moving on to a company that really probably over-support their games, and it's Simon, where they're constantly pushing out new new stuff for these things. And the game I'm talking about is Marvel United. It's Eric Lang and Andrea Ch- Chiarvisio. And it's a very simple setup in that it's a family weight game but it's got a very clever assistance mechanism where you're laying down a card and the card that the person previously paid before you is going to assist you in some way it's marvel it's really well made it looks beautiful on the table you do feel like you you are the heroes in it And it's a very simple game that myself and James can play. So that's why Marvel United has crept into my top 100.
1: I just can't be doing with chibis.
0: (laughs) I'm not a big fan, but I'll I'll allow it when it's comic book. You're going to allow it? I'm going to allow it when it's Marvel, yeah.
1: Okay, but I can't allow it. So Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's not allowing it. No, I'm not allowing it. Embarcadero was my number nine for lack of plays but building. My number 98 is Patch History. And I have no idea if this is going to be number 980, 98 or 9 next time we do this around because it was a huge sort of cult hit. I think it's the closest thing you can put it to And it came out many years ago. It's about creating a patchwork of tiles. It's weirdly thematically abstract in that these tiles can be like leaders or they can be buildings, they can be areas, and you're trying to run this economy in a very strange and unusual way while there's also some conflict between you in various areas, you're trying to build a civilization through time, in a very odd way, and it was certainly different, and it tweaked everyone's interest. And I haven't played it in a long time, but I retain enough fondness for it to be at number ninety-eight in my list. And it's one of those games I look at and say, "I need to play you," and I said that every year for about five years.
0: Literally, just had that conversation with Nat. We were looking at games that we're going to sell in in the next sort of week or two. And we were looking at games, shall we sell it or shall we play it? And that one came in, Patch History came in we're like, we need to play that game again. I can't really remember how it plays. That's probably why it's not anywhere near my top 100. But I remember it being very good. So we're definitely going to give that a go. It's on our list of 10 games that we're going to play in the next two or three weeks. So hopefully I can give you more information about it.
1: Ten games in the next two or three weeks. where you just you, giving up work, you just sending your kids to prison. <laughs> well,
0: I've, I've got two weeks off and we just we've just put a list together. So to like these are the games we just haven't either got played at all, sitting in shrink, or that we really want to get played. We've got a bigger list, but these are the ten that we've earmarked for the first
1: batch. No children, you can't have dinner. Daddy's playing a Korean game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so moving onwards. I, my number 98 is one that I know that Ronan isn't a particularly big fan of. It's Fauna from Hook, designed by Freedom and Freeze. Again, I'm thinking of playing with the family when I'm, when I'm finding my enjoyment of this game. So what the game is about is... Finding creatures all over the world, working out or trying to guess where they come from, how long they are, how heavy they are, how big their tail is. And you're bringing a certain amount of knowledge in and also you're doing a lot of guessing. And it's educational, it's fun, and everyone mocks Daddy when he gets completely the wrong answer. So it's a good family weight fun game for all.
1: It's not though, is it? Shut up you, you misery. This is the one I definitely am pushing back hardest against in this <laughs> 10 list. See, we don't know each other's lists, but because we've pre-recorded this, I know <laughs> what is 10 up for this episode only. So this, I understand the fun in the guessing and the knowledge of the world and the animals and like, oh, is that weigh two kilos or four kilos? I don't really know, but I'm going to make a guess. But as a game, it is fundamentally flawed. Because when someone goes through the area, everyone just follows them, and then everyone's just getting a few points, and everyone's scoring very similar points the time because you just follow each other around the board. So as a game, it doesn't work. I, I just think it could have been put into a better system and made much, much better.
0: As a gamer game, it doesn't work. As a family weight game, it works perfectly.
1: No, it doesn't, but okay. Again. Number 97, <laughs> talking about a family game that works perfectly, what more do you want than a soundtrack a gun that doesn't work very well in my case and the opportunity for everyone to run around the room shooting at targets touching things and getting back to their table No, you
0: better say it you better say it properly
1: waddling around the room <laughs> bumping into <laughs> things no oh no you're talking about saying the name of it properly yeah aren't you? okay bingo bingo there we go there we go okay so the soundtrack will play with the music and then it will say things like bingo bingo and you'd have to go and do the next task whatever it is this is hilarity in a box sean this is a fantastic family game
0: i completely agree it is absolutely hilarious we've actually replaced the guns because our guns they either shot out and broke things around the room or they literally flopped out the end of the gun and landed on the floor by your feet so we actually replaced them with some actual nerf guns so
1: even better Nice. Nerf and Pingo Pingo. It's like my dream weekend away.
0: (laughs) So my number 97 is a Knizia game. The first and maybe the only one. I'm not sure. And from Blue Orange as well, it's Blue Lagoon. This game is, you play it in two separate phases if you like where you're placing out tiles and you're trying to get close to things to get set collection and blocking each other off it's quite a chippy game in that you're you're constantly trying to usurp each other and where you're going to but also really good fun set collection game and konizia is best for me so blue lagoon sneaks in at num- number 97
1: that's just a short everyone of taste, cast and sophistication. This is not the last Knizia game you're going to hear from the whole <laughs> podcast. I don't know what that Egypt in Berlin is going on. There's plenty more Knizia coming up. Okay. This is a very good choice. This is a definite contender for my top 100. It didn't make it, but it didn't make it by a small margin. Blue Lagoon's a very good game. Interestingly, have you played Babylonia?
0: I believe I have played it. It's the one that came out a couple of years ago. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and it's got, like, elements of Blue Lagoon in there with different colours. That's right, yeah, complicated. yeah,
0: Would you believe that the Matthew Jude collector of all things Canizia
1: brought it around? I, I would believe it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, just that I saw Blue Lagoon in an out-of-the-dust geek list this week and someone was just saying they like it, but they think Babylonia's even better. And I've got Babylonia downstairs and it made me go, hmm... Maybe I need to try and push that a lot further up my list of plays. Mm. In terms of Blue Dugan itself, the only reason I don't own it is because everyone around me owned it. And it was going for like a 10 or 15 quid. And I was like, there's no point buying it. There's no point buying it. And now I don't see anyone. So maybe I should have bought it. it'll be in my top 100. But this is a good choice.
0: Cool. What's your number 96, Ronan?
1: My number 96 is similar to Pingo Pingo in terms of it's a physical activity that is a game But I would say it is more for older kids and into adults. It's you robot, in which everyone pairs up, and in the pair, you've got one robot and one uh, scientist. And the scientist has got a set of three direction cards, which sort of you use, they're, they're quite ambiguous. You have to use them in like arrows and circles and stuff like that. All the scientists sees a particular pose that all the robots are attempting to get, and then the scientists race. To just use these three cards, turn them around, pointing them, waving them in the air, pointing them to themselves, to get their robot to go into the pose which is on the card. Whoever does it first wins the point. Who cares about points? It's about getting frustrated with each other and trying to get people to do silly things like stand on one leg and cover one eye and have one elbow high and one elbow down and then their nose closed or. I don't know, their gills flapping. Wherever it might be, you're trying to get them to do it, and it's absolutely hilarious, and it's competitive, but it's not that competitive, because if you're a robot, you're completely stuck, you can always just look at the next people along and go, oh, something's doing my left leg, isn't it? And go from there. And we laugh a lot playing it, and it's in here for all the good times I've had playing You, Robot, my number 96.
0: Yeah, I remember you mentioning this, well, reviewing this a long time back in one of our shows, and I pledged at that time, oh, I must have a game of that, and I never did. So I still must have a game of it. So if you ever decide to bring it out again when I'm around, I will be absolutely up for it. So it sounds a lot of fun.
1: In fairness, if you ever make LobsterCon again, I usually have it at LobsterCon somewhere.
0: Yeah, see, that is that is lobstacle all over isn't it that that saturday night when the party game night and uh, that is perfect for that
1: thanks for your approval of my game that i bring to Lobstacle. economy well done
0: well done i'll allow that
1: thank
0: you completely <laughs> my number 96 is space Base from ag designed by john d claire a really clever tableau building where you're rolling two dice you're you're adding the scores or you're making them individual dice to trigger things on your tableau and it's different spaceships that you're triggering and you it's a race game you're trying to race to the finish to get to I think it's 40 points just very clever you're constantly building up your tableau. You're constantly trying to maximise what you what you get out of your role, and that race aspect means it really doesn't outstay its welcome. So, space base a winner for me.
1: I reckon space base and blue lagoon are within five spaces of each other somewhere in my one. <laughs> well, regions.
0: they're in two, one space of each other or mine.
1: <laughs> I really like space base. You bought it for us, right? I did. I did. It was a family present. It was a good family present. It's unusual for you. Hey. <laughs> we all enjoy it. It is kind of better than it sounds. Because when you explain to people, they're like, oh, it sounds like Magicora." You're like, yeah, but Magicora is terrible. <laughs> Bass Bass is actually really fun. I would say that there is a balance there whereby with lots of players, you're looking at particular sets of powers and with fewer players, you're looking at other sets of powers. And with lots of players, you can end up doing loads of stuff before it even gets around to your turn and players' turns can be really super, super hyped up. It can really accelerate. So I think slightly less than the maximum number of players is best for it. I think it's very good. It's another game that possibly with more plays may make its way into my top 100. It's a grower. I've got the expansions to try as well. It's supposed to be very good.
0: Yes, yeah, they they really do change it up. I haven't played them yet, but they change it up a lot, I believe. Cool, right, 95, Ronan.
1: My 95, I forgot it was my turn, to be honest with you. I was just enjoying your list so much. (laughs) My 95 is, oh, I've I've just read it. Oh, it's exciting, Sean. I won't linger anymore. It is Star Wars X-Wing, which is a fabulous miniatures game in which, depending upon how much you want to get into it, it can be one X-Men against two TIE fighters and you're moving by using these, what would you call them? Movement ruler sort of things or templates. We decide how much you want to turn and how fast you go. Yeah. And yeah. you're pew, pew, shooting lasers at each other. Pew, pew. You can get more. You can get loads of different spaceships. You have different pilots to go in each ship. You get different powers. You then get different combinations of powers. You can get all the way into competitive play as a couple of my friends have done and be representing nations and going to international things. It has got all levels of depth to it. I started off by playing a sort of print and play fan-made co-op campaign, which as usual with campaigns with me, I wasn't able to keep up, but my friends did and then really dove deep, 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 deep into it to the point where very quickly I couldn't, I wasn't even cannon fodder for them. I was too rubbish at the game. (laughs) My kids didn't take to it, so I sort of had some and then got rid of it because I just wasn't going to be playing it often enough because my mates were too good and my kids weren't interested. But as a light casual game for someone that I saw every now and then to get out and play, I would have loved to have played like that for a while. But as it is, I have got plenty of plays on my belt and it's fantastic and it's got depths that you would never imagine until you get that 5,000 plays in. So Star Wars X-Wing, my ninety five.
0: Yeah, certainly one of the very best skirmish miniatures games that I've ever played, and I've not got a depth of knowledge in that area, but certainly it's a lot of fun, and I did have a big collection, imagine that, Sean, Sean saw the shiny and bought loads of stuff that he ended up getting rid of. Uh, but yeah I got I got rid of it because I didn't have anyone to play with because obviously I moved to Birmingham Ronan was down in London and Natalie wasn't a big fan but now I'm regretting it because
1: I reckon James would love it well it's second edition now so all your stuff would be out of date anyway <laughs> <laughs> second edition stuff. okay your are 95 Sean a uh, deep thinky strategy for our game
0: yes Ronan a very deep game in which you knock other people's stuff over it's Catapult Feud, or Catapult Kingdom as it was when I backed it on Kickstarter, from Vesuvius Media, designed by Christian Fosch, And it's a game that I remember playing as a kid with Lego, building forts at either end of a table or a room, and literally lobbing things at it to try and knock each other's forts down and putting soldiers behind them. They've literally just manufactured it up and made it all nice and nice bits and pieces. And it's the same thing again. And you get to fling a catapult at people's buildings and try and knock their soldiers over. That's all it is. It's amazing fun. I love it. I still love it. I, it brings the kid and me out again. And obviously James loves it. So yeah. what What's not to like?
1: Didn't you have a game that was a bit like this and like gray plastic walls? And you could fire things across at each other. When we were kids, I mean. I'm not looking yeah, at the yeah, last yeah. 10 years.
0: It, very possibly, because I remember playing lots of stuff like this.
1: Yeah, um, we definitely yeah. should set it up on your bedroom floor and fire things at each other and generally yeah. end up in fist fights over whose night fell over and who's didn't. That.
0: That's standard, though. That's everything.
1: <laughs> your mother in with a bucket of water again to separate <laughs>
0: <you've
1: got> cats. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fantastic fun. And I'm a bit sad that you haven't let me try it yet.
0: Well, you can come up here and we will set it up and yourself and James can have a massive fight.
1: i have had to say, i would have a fist fight with James and he'll win. <laughs> probably. Uh, probably. You've got huge children. Okay. <laughs> 194. Don't, don't fight me for that. It's Time of Crisis, which is a GMT game about the 200s Roman Empire. There was a time of multiple emperors over a short number of years and rival empires until it was all calmed down again. And it's about deck building, but not intense deck building uh, in three different areas of military power and economical power and political power, and then taking control of areas of the empire and then eventually trying to become the emperor. And as the emperor you're supposed to only keep hold of it at certain points of the game. It's supposed to be a rolling sort of position because that's where you can garner lots and lots and lots of points. But taking the the throne makes you vulnerable. So someone else should have been slowly building up and they grab it from you after a turn or two and the next person grabs it. So it sort of recreates this, this succession and this cutthroat feeling via map play and very clever deck building. That probably happens when everyone's competent I'm not very good at it so I'm not very good at grabbing the throne back. It tends to be in my game someone gets the throne and we sit there watching them win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't make that to make it sound like it's a bad game. It's a fabulous game. In fact, similar to X-Wing it has got depths that as you play more and more and more reveal themselves and you get more into the pattern and you can anticipate what people are trying to do and then an element of double bluffing comes in whereby you make them think you're doing this, they start defending that way and then you shift round and switch your point of attack to come at them in a different way. Just a fantastic game, best played with people who have played it a bit, who know it. Easier to get into than a lot of GMT games but doesn't sacrifice anything for depth for that. So Sean, my 94 time off crisis.
0: Yeah, I, I did play this a couple of times, and I really was interested in the story behind it. Obviously, based in history and based around the Roman Empire, but I just found that the for the reasons you've just said that the gameplay was quite frustrating. I didn't, re, I wasn't good enough to really challenge the person who would seized seized power, and I just got more and more frustrated. And that's probably why I didn't like it as much as you, but. uh I think maybe if I was to get up to that level, we would be a much better experience.
1: I think, hopefully, maybe it would
0: be. (laughs) So my number 94 is Smartphone Inc. from Cosmodrome Games, designed by Ivan Alashin. And Smartphone Inc. is all about... Getting a smartphone onto the market across the world and trying to find your price point and trying to develop your phone. And it's done in a very clever way, especially when you're setting up your phone in the very first round. It dictates how you're going to play that whole round is by laying tiles and what the icons show dictate what you're going to do in in that round and it's all done behind a screen so you, you don't know what everyone else is doing and you're setting your price point which is really important when you get into the markets and it's just a really clever economy game and as as we've mentioned before i do like an economy game
1: this is a game i like but it will never make my top 100 it has a limit on it because there are just certain factors which are integral to how it plays that prevent it from being top, top notch, but I think it's a very good game, but not top notch. I think that the upgrade system is a bit wonky. You'll always go for certain things. I think that there are frustrations within it that don't develop and there's no way to get around the frustrations. So by the time we get into the end, the whole action selection thing is very clever, but I'm not enjoying it by the end of the game because I I want a bit more freedom. I'm, I'm, kind of straining the leash a little bit and the markets are all quite set so I think it starts slightly leaking at the seams by the time you get towards the end of the game and it shows the limits of the system but it is a very clever system and it's certainly one that's worth playing and I enjoy it but it won't ever be in my top 100 Fair
0: enough and your number 93 runner
1: is Well, it's Walnut Grove. It might be welcome to Walnut Grove. I'm not sure that anyone ever (laughs) worked out whether which of those is correct. But anyway, there's something along the lines with Walnut Grove in it. And whatever it's called, it is about being a homesteader in the Old West. And there is a tile laying aspect in which you are developing your lands. Your lands have different landscapes on them. The more tiles you can get off a certain landscape next to each other the more efficient that your harvesting will be of these basic resources and you will use these resources going into town doing an action selection in order to build up shelter make sure you have enough food to get more workers in and eventually to start selling things to get some money and make points and you're generally trying to survive It's pretty hard. There's a couple of years in the Old West where things aren't easy. By the end of the game, hopefully you're prospering a little bit and you're starting to, to get a few points in. It's shockingly difficult when you first play it. You're a bit like, hold on, because you're used to collecting 48 wood on the turn and scoring 400 points. And that's not how it works in Walnut Grove. You'll collect two wood and you'll be lucky that one of your cowhands doesn't die. So Walnut Grove, a tight, tense, short But just over an hour, Euro, that really puts you through the ringer.
0: Yeah, you were the only person I knew that had this game. And when I finally managed to get a game with you, I I kind of fell in love with it a little bit. So I think if I'd played this, I do own it now because I managed to track down a copy, but I haven't played it since. I think if I'd played this more, it would definitely be in my top 100 because I remember really, really enjoying it. So... Yes, it is a good shout, and it's made me think I should add that to my list of 10 games quickly, because I I really enjoyed it. So, Walnut Grove is a good call, Ronan.
1: Your list of 11 games, did you say?
0: My list of 11 games, obviously. And to keep in with that Western theme, my number 93 is Carson City from Quinnhead Games, designed by Xavier Georges. It's a game where you're again building up the Carson City as you go and your own tableau. And the thing I really like about it is each round you're going to choose a character and that's going to give you a boon or a or a way of playing that round. And you're going to concentrate on it. And it can be quite confrontational at times, but there's loads going on in each round that it never feels boring and it all and it keeps on ticking along at a nice pace. So Carson City is a winner for me. And what, just before I passed over to Ronan, it took. It was a slow burner. I played this two or three times, and it was only on the, the third game that I started to really see the, the beauty in it.
1: Yeah, I played this a fair amount before I started logging plays. I really started logging plays in, like, 2011, 2012. And it came out in 2009, and we played the, I don't know, the, the tumbleweed out of it <laughs> in 2009. And it was always one that I was... Probably not far enough into my board gaming journey in 2009 to really appreciate it. And I think I had it rated pretty low. And in the ensuing years, in the ensuing decade, I've played it three more times. And my appreciation for it has grown every time I've played it in the last 10 years. To my last place now a few years ago, it was at a LobsterCon. And we had a fabulous time. We were wetting ourselves and people willing to attack each other. And playing with all people who understood it very well brought out more of it and it's probably like one or two more fully enriched plays of it from being in my top 100 so it has been a very long journey for me with Carson City from because when I first played I always wanted to be left alone and I used to say it to so Steve was the person who taught us all our initial games I don't like games in which we can mess with each other because I can't get my pattern going Obviously, that has almost completely flipped, and now I like messing with other people and getting messed around with. And Carson City is a game that has come with me on that journey. So
0: it's probably like the very antithesis of a, of a welcoming game, stroke, uh,
1: gateway game. Yeah, but then our sort of, as I say, our welcoming game that really hooked me was Brass. Yeah, there you go <laughs> uh, you know that that will break your head and that's that's got things where people will block you out and it can be frustrating but well, I can't even imagine how incompetent we were but man we love that game
0: <laughs> it'd be interesting to go back in in time and watch us play in some of those games and go oh my god
1: oh, I can- imagine how long we took to play them as well we're I probably know. literally playing like brass for four or five hours Well,
0: <laughs> right, you're 92 Roden.
1: My 92, speaking of, uh, as we've said, some real rich, deep, thinky games, Double or Spot It, in which there's a card and it's got one symbol in common with the other every other card in the deck. There are millions of different versions of this now. It has become a mainstream hit. You'll see it in shops all over the place. It has different ways of playing. Whatever way you're playing, it works from four years of age to all the way up to 4,000 years of age, if you wish to play with an ancient being. It is funny, it's fun, it's challenging, it's got that whole speed thing. It is not difficult to create ways in which if you're playing with your kids, you are slowed down somehow, like you close your eyes and give them a certain amount of time. And as they get better, you're counting in your head, you, know, you reduce the time down. That's what I used to do with my kids. I played with my aunt, with my father, with my kids, with family, with friends. It always goes down really, really well. I've also played with gamers in which you're going to break your fingers trying to slam your hand across to claim them. And that was equally as fun. And it works all the way around. And it's just a great system. And sometimes games are just for fun. And Double is a ton of fun.
0: I always got really stressed with Double. I think that's probably why I don't have the love for it that you do, but... It's because if
1: you slam your hand down too hard, you're going to be snapping bones.
0: (laughs) I just always got... I got very angry at myself sometimes when I couldn't see things that were plainly in front of my nose. But yeah, it's a very, very clever game and it's uh, one for everyone, really. My number 92 is Sagrada. Abstract puzzle game where you're trying to make a stained glass window, uh, coming from Floodgate Games and Adrian Adamescu. It's probably my favourite abstract puzzle game out there. I have really taken to this one, which is unusual for me. I just love the the placement rules. You can't place the number next to or the colours next to each other, and you're drafting as well, which is another mechanism that I really enjoy. I find it fascinating. I find it's it kinda draws me into the puzzle of it, which is something I suppose what abstract games do for everyone else. But normally I'm I don't I just don't get on with them. But this one for some reason it just clicks with me, and for that reason Sagrada is my number 92, and just a little aside uh, Azul is not in my top 100, and there were always the two that I kind of, in my mind, went went up against each other, and I've always slightly preferred
1: Sagrada to Azul Um, Well, maybe you won't hear about Azul in any of these episodes there, maybe won't be in here (laughs) 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 It's Hard. Well, you won't hear about it for a while. I just checked. It's hard (laughs) for me to generate an argument against a game that is quite as bland as this one is. (laughs) There's nothing offensive about it. It also lacks any characteristic that would make it stand out for me. It's it's. If I say fine, it's almost too low a price for it. It's fine as in yeah, it's fine. Do you want to play Sagrada? Yeah, cool will you remember this game Sagrada never <laughs> it's not going to happen it's just, it is a game I will play it will be inoffensive I'll have a decent time for that 45 minutes and then I'll walk off and two years later you'll say what happened in that game uh, dice colours game someone won don't know cool <laughs> that's Sagrada to me Had definitely hasn't got the hook that it has for you hmm.
0: fair enough fair enough so, last game of this episode, f- you
1: don't episode? even have an. <laughs> you don't even have any answer to me.
0: Oh, really? I can see where you're coming from. I think that's probably why I like it because maybe there is. You want that. to
1: forget your life? Is this a cry for <laughs> help?
0: No, I don't. I think one of the reasons I don't like Azul because it it. Frustrates me, and which I think is something that you do like about Azul, is that you've got that sort of combat almost in there, where you're trying to stitch each other up with the with a rake, a tile, so that it really busts your your scoring system. So this one it doesn't do that. So I think that's probably why I like it more.
1: Yeah, you have to defend yourself. You have to defend yourself against the other players. Martin has just written an interesting thing on his blog on Board Game Geek about. Cascadia and why it isn't for him and mm-hmm. why Azul... He just mentions Azul in there why it's more appealing to him and with regards to... You do have to look at what the other players are doing and you do have to see whether they can stitch you up and it's a viable method for them and if you've got two relatively equal choices, there are ones that are going to be better because it will create problems further around the table. That is definitely more interesting to him and to me where I think Sagrada is Cascadia adjacent for me. It's all very sort of I mean, there's some stuff with the colours, but not really. And it's all just, I'm playing my own little game, I take from the middle, and we're not really interacting. And I say it again and again and again, playing board games, for me, is about doing it in person. So there's very few I like playing online. I play Marvel Champions with Lloyd, and I love doing that, because we are interacting one-on-one all the time, so it is kind of quite social. But... In terms of like playing over BGA or playing over Tabletop Simulator over the whole pandemic, I just haven't been interested because it's about interaction. It's about people. It's about it having an experience together. With Sagrada and Cascadia, I feel like we're having adjacent experiences.
0: I'm not a massive fan of Cascadia. I think it's all right. But Sagrada, I think you can give a little bit of jip to each other you can look and say right okay if I leave that die then can't place it so that's going to cost him a point but it's not massive and that, that's that's the thing for me when it's like massive and you can completely rip someone's game apart by giving them 15 tiles of the
1: same colour or whatever then that, that seems unlikely is, you may have slightly exaggerated
0: alright slightly exaggerated. <laughs> <right>, slight exaggeration <laughs> but I, that's the bit of us all that I find when it happens to me, I, I just don't like it at all. And, and and for that reason, I don't like doing it to others. So that's probably where it is. I still think it's always a fine game. It's in my top 200 for sure. But yeah, th- that's why. I, I think,
1: think that's what fun. Martin is saying. He's, like, he's not having a go at Cascadia. He's just saying there are people that in those these sort of drafty games where you're taking from the middle of doing your own thing. Some people want to be left to do their own thing. And it's all mm. quite even, and, and then some people like a bit of interaction where you can mess with each other a little bit, but it's quite mild, it's just a point in there. And some people prefer the thing where you can absolutely stitch each other right <laughs> up. And it, it, he's kind of discussing that at that axis, if you like, as yeah. opposed to saying this one's better than that one. No, just he's no, to interested, yeah. Obviously, it's confirmation bias as well, because when I'm reading his blog, I'm agreeing with him. So yeah, I think yeah. that he's a very clever man and making fantastic points because <laughs> I agree with the role.
0: With, with the stitching up element, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it if the game kind of dictates that you you should do that. When it becomes a choice then that's when I start to waver. And it's like, you can play it nice or you can play it to stitch each other over. And they're the times that I am like, well, you chose to do that. So now I'm not happy with you. So that's kind of the difference for me.
1: I appreciate the choice though, because then that would allow me to sort of manipulate how I play, depending on who I'm playing with. And we can bring it back to last episode, like Maori. And it's not that, Obviously, Mario, I think it's kind of one of the ones in the middle, but I could choose then not to do the dick moves because it's like, well, but then the option for me is when everyone's played it 10 times, it grows to another level. The ones that are too sort of nice and the interaction isn't enough, I get bored with them because it's the same experience again and again and again. I'm saying this knowing full well that very shortly I'm going to review a tile-taking, pattern-making game that me and Rachel are loving that is completely you're not like you're a, anyone else is doing. So I'm a complete hypocrite. I'm thinking to myself, you're going to sound like an idiot in an episode or two's time. But generally, I find that the ones that have that interaction have got that depth and the, the layers of play that make them hang around for me.
0: Cool. No, that was good conversation, Mr. Rice.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks. It's nice to chat to you. Cool. <laughs>
0: right. Your last game of this episode, your number 91.
1: Now, my number 91 has been playing on my mind, Sean. and has been making me feel bad about myself.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm slightly worried now, but go on.
1: <laughs> We're going to get to that bit. Let's start with it's At the Gates of Luoyang. Yeah. 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 Uve Rosenberg. Farming game whereby you are putting out fields of vegetables, possibly the most boring sounding theme in the world, but they will develop over time and you will harvest them. And then, what you are harvesting, you are going to make money off by either selling to a shop in order to create sort of situations where you can sow what else you need, or more importantly, going to customers, customers who will linger around, or customers who are there and gone, some of whom have special powers. And by doing so, you're going to be making money. And then, each turn, you get a chance to move up the score track cheaply initially and then more expensively but it's about can you generate those turns where you've got enough money to make those more expensive jumps up and that's what's going to win you the game i love the fact that it has got something sean mentioned before strategic and tactical elements you have to set yourself up with sort of a base of crops but then you are reacting slightly to who what other people want or what the customers want what other people are doing as well If sean's got a whole load of i don't know pumpkins and he's going to be hoovering up the pumpkin customers. Maybe I will go a slightly different way. And I'm looking for different combinations that particular customers want. And also, customers will cost you things if you don't feed them all the time. So you're aware of that as well. Now, all of that happens in just over an hour. It's a decent amount of thinking, but it's, it's here and gone. And I think production was nice, it had nice wooden bits, and it was... A puzzle again with that interaction of who's taking what customers and where I can set up my own income. And then from that income, work out what I'm going to do it later on. It had enough multi round thinking that it kept me encapsulated. The bit that's made me feel bad about myself is that Halatel is a terrible game. Good. We all know. No, it's not. <laughs> Talking rot. <laughs> Very poorly rated a board game geek. There's not a single person in the world who likes it. <laughs> it's all completely clear that Halital is a mess. Yes, Now, <laughs> <laughs> One of the major problems I had with Halital was the scoring mechanism, whereby you've got these rocks and you're, you're moving things along the track that's left to right, and there are rocks in the way, and they all mm-hmm. move once in each round, and then you can spend stuff to move them more, to get them out of the way to move your stuff along, right? Yeah. Very, very similar to the scoring tracking at the Gates of Yang. You can have one move that's cheap. You must pay more for the next move each round. And that's the thing that's bothered me. Now, Yang <laughs> is much simpler. It's done on the fact that it's one resource. It's money. It's all you need to get. And it just costs you more money to move, so it is much less fiddly and finagled. Which is one of the problems I have with Halatal. There are four thousand different resources, and you're keeping track of four thousand of each of them, and it felt just unnecessary. So that's part of the elegance of loyang It's just money. Although you are keeping track of lots of different resources, it's money in the end that's going to make the difference. Whereas in in Halatao, You need to pay with all these different resources to move things along. And it's a combination of this, a combination of that. And it's all very fiddly for no reason to me. But I understand there is an inherent hypocrisy in me enjoying it in one game and not in the other. (laughs) But that brings me to my final point, my young, and I've been talking about 20 minutes for for about 20 minutes, it is it is the elegance, a word that we try and shy away from. In describing games because it was overused, and yet I feel like we have moved out of the era of elegant game design to some degree in which much is done with few things. And that is the difference between Lo Yang and Halatel. Lo Yang has as many decisions in it in a shorter time frame with much fewer things to fiddle with, whereas Halatel puffs up with a million different things to manage, which don't in the end make any difference my defence of Liu Yang based on how bad Halatau is you're welcome Sean
0: so what I'm hearing is you were too much of a cretin to keep track of everything in Halatau basically that's what we're saying
1: that is an aspect of it and also (laughs) I get very bored of tracking 18 things for no reason
0: (sighs) It's been a long time since I played Loyang and I remember absolutely despising it. Uh, we did review it and we had an argument at the time. I think one of the things was the random customers coming in that could benefit one person above another and yeah,
1: I you know but what let me, let me let me riff on a on a subject there. Why yeah. is it okay in Hallattal to have random scoring or random Things that will benefit you. But my,
0: I my was classes, literally going to say the thing, same thing. I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence, but I'm showing <laughs> the same hypocrisy as you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think also when, when I first played Gates of Luoyang, I'd it was the fourth Uwe Rosenberg game that I'd played, and the ones before it had been Agricola, Caverna, and Aura at Labora. and I'd loved each one of those. So playing this one was probably I had him up on a pedestal at that point and then
1: and you shoved him off
0: I shoved him off but uh yeah I just didn't get on with this one at all I just I I actively disliked it and that's not that often I actively dislike a
1: game yeah 91 at the gates of the yang possibly a fantastic game
0: now, this one is definitely one we've had contention in the past, and it's the very definition of what Ronan calls a fragile game. It's Dead of Winter from Plaid Hat Games, Jonathan Gilmore and Isaac Vega. It's, it's a storytelling game where you can, can have a hidden traitor amongst the like camp of refugees from a zombie plague that's hit the world. And... The hidden traitor could, may or may not be in the in the game. It's is completely random. I will say that as much as I love this game, I love the thematic elements of it, and I love the survival and feeling you're really up against it and this in this zombie apocalypse, I do say that you have to have exactly the right people. People are going to embed themselves into that and not worry about the flaws in the gameplay. And There was a time when this game was probably in my top 20, if not my top 10. And it's drifted and drifted because of that reason. But still maintaining its place in my top 100, dead of winter.
1: I charge you with rating potential above delivery.
0: (laughs) Here we go. We're going to talk about me liking a game for its one or two brilliant moments and you wanting that sort of... What would you say?
1: Consistency. Consistency, that's the word. That's right. So me being right and you being wrong. I think you said it all for me, Sean. I think you said it all for me. Some people will be there going, Sean's right. It's got amazing moments. Never mind that you might waste three hours of your life having a terrible game of it. And some people, fewer, will be there because it's only with me going, yeah, I cannot be bothered with that nonsense. Man, just give me a game that delivers and is, is there for me. Look, I'll still play Dead of Winter. You know I will. I just won't have much hope that I'll be having much fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it gives you stories. And you've, you had a story recently where someone ran into a building and got absolutely decimated, and it was funny, and you remember it. And it's, that's what these games are about.
1: That is correct. <laughs>
0: right, okay. So there we have it. That's our 100 to 91. Ronan, I felt like I liked yours a hell of a lot more than you liked mine. I'm feeling put upon.
1: I'm gonna make you take that back. I really liked <laughs> Blue Lagoon, Space Space, Smartphone Inc. and Carson City. I really like four of yours. Nah. Uh, well, for mine you liked Cartographers, Embarcadero, Patch History, Pingo Pingo. Okay, we're at five, Stoles X-Wing, one at <laughs> over Six. Sean, you're correct. I'm gonna yeah. edit this to not make me sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right fantastic we'll let you go sean thank you very much for your thank you very much thank you everyone for listening we will catch you next time
0: and as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to catch us on social media, we are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast, and we've also got a Facebook and Instagram page. Download our episodes wherever you download your podcast, and if you can, we'd love we'd love if you could submit a review. And yeah, the more stars, the better. If you wish to contact us, our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com or pop along to BoardGameGeek and, and come and have a chat with us in our guild. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time on The Game Pit. Music by E. arrow
1: 92 boy. Countdown boy.